What challenges have you found as an adult child of alcoholics in parenting your own children? What program tools have you used and how have they helped? And what is your biggest challenge now? Welcome to episode 225 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Mary, Michelle, Debbie, Penelope, Sharon, Franklin, Annie, and Michael. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Mary, Michelle, Debbie, Penelope, Sharon, Franklin, Annie, and Michael for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. And also thank you to those of you who contributed your experience, strength, and hope to this episode. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today of uh, a multitude of contributors. Allison recorded a share about parenting and sent it to us. Hey, Spencer. This is Allison E. from Atlanta. I'm calling about uh, the subject of parenting children, having been raised by um, two parents affected by the disease of alcoholism. Both my parents are qualifiers for me. Interestingly, but I'm sure it's not that unusual, they are both Alanons themselves as well. They were both raised by one or more parents with alcoholism. So the disease is very prevalent in my family. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. So I am in the thick of parenting young children, elementary age children. I thought I would start by saying kind of how I was raised and some of the parenting strategies, I guess you could say, that I'm trying to uh, do differently. One thing was I was definitely expected to take care of my mother's emotions. I was expected to make her happy or not make her unhappy. There was a lot of, a lot of that. It was all me or my sisters who needed to do the apologizing. Parents did not apologize. Uh, children did all of that. If we didn't do, or if I didn't do what was expected of me, um, the punishment, if you will, was to uh, have feelings of love withheld, particularly by my mother. And that's that's still kind of how she operates, is to withhold showing any signs of love if I'm not pleasing to her. Another thing is my parents, my mother in particular, would make sacrifices or do things for me, but then really martyr herself for it to the point where I, I would be told I should feel guilty for the things that were done. There were obviously good things that happened during my childhood. It wasn't all negative, but those were things that I have definitely noticed and am trying not to replicate. What I am trying to do, um, first and foremost, is to trust that my children have a higher power and that I can trust that higher power with them. And that can be tough when there are things going on or 
I'm scared for something, especially when I'm in fear. It's tough for me to trust that they have a higher power, but that is what I am trying to do because it, it, it really helps relieve my fear, which quickly turns into control. Something I try to do with them is remind them a lot that I love them and, and then I let them know that the reason I love them is because they are, and I just say their name, because they are on the planet and because that's their name and that's who they are. And there's nothing they need to do to earn it or please me. I just love them because of that. And I don't think they understand that now. I think they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard you say this a million times, but I'm hoping that one day when they are wondering if they're loved, they can recall that they're loved because of who they are simply just because they're breathing and they exist, that there's nothing more they need to do to, to get that love. We also just, I have tried to ban the word perfect from our house. I really love this slogan in Al-Anon progress, not perfection. We just don't say the word perfect around here. It just, it can really get us all in knots and nothing seems good enough. I'm also starting to teach them about halt. Sometimes my eight-year-old daughter will say, you know, there's something wrong and I don't know. And she'll get, you know, very upset and, and, and we can go through, okay, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? And, you know, it's always one or more of those things. And, and then it helps it not seem so scary. And if it's hungry, well, we can take care of that pretty quickly. Um, tired, same thing. So, I'm trying to teach them that the hope being that one day they can begin doing that for themselves when they don't know what's wrong and they feel very stuck. I'm also trying to teach them that they do not have to accept unacceptable behavior. That is something I was not taught and I am learning the hard way as a, you know, adult is that I don't have to accept something that is not kind or is actually mean. I don't have to be mean back, neither do they, but they don't have to sit around and accept it. They can remove themselves from a friendship or even a playground situation if it's not, if it, uh, if it is not acceptable. But I would say the biggest things is, is really me taking care of me. I try, I'm actually upping, <laughs> um, the amount of meetings I go to and because I need it, I, take time to exercise. I take time to maintain my close relationships. And I really try not to take on more than I'm capable of, especially when it comes to commitments with my children. I just don't want to be a martyr. I want whatever I do to be my choice and and not not suddenly be overwhelmed and, and thinking it's someone else's fault. You know, this is all not to say that I am some sort of super mom. I definitely struggle. I struggle with impatience. I struggle with self-centeredness. Being a parent makes my, a lot of my defects crystal clear. And I, and I, I'm actually on, um, step six. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting how that all works, but I do think this program provides me with such amazing tools for myself, which then has a spillover effect. And I can then share these tools when appropriate with my children. 
and it's huge. And I'm just so grateful that I have this program in my life and that there are opportunities for me to do things differently. Cause I think simply avoiding patterns from my childhood doesn't cut it. I need to have new things and new ways to approach life and hardships. And, and so this program has provided so much of that. Anyway, that's what I've got. Thank you for letting me share and thank you for the recovery show. I'm so grateful for it. Colleen left us voicemail about parenting and her experience, strength and hope. Hi, Spencer and company. This is Colleen from East Tennessee. And I wanted to contribute to the topic of parenting. Parenting is something that I had always longed to do since I was, I don't know, pretty young. I I always wanted to be a mom, but also simultaneously something that I was terrified to do because of my own upbringing, which was very chaotic and, and violent. And I was, you know, terrified that I would become my mother. (laughs) I have a nine-year-old son now. I am 38 myself. And when uh, my son was 18 months old, I went through a pretty terrible divorce and have had a litigious relationship, co-parenting relationship with his father, which has calmed down some in the last few years. But after my son was born, I was pretty terrified about how to be a really good mom, so I read a lot of books, a lot of books about parenting an infant. And to his credit, my my at that time, my husband told me to throw the books away, <laughs> to trust myself. And that was huge for me because I know that the instincts were there. And I knew a lot of what not to do because of my own mother, which I'll get into later. But when my son hit kindergarten and I started to kind of feel like things were getting more chaotic as he was becoming more knowledgeable and more, maybe a little bit more defiant, I had an an aunt who uh, taught kindergarten, she still does, who introduced me to a book called One, Two, Three Magic. And it teaches about the counting, you know, of one, two, three, you know, you get these warnings until a timeout. But but this book really goes beyond that, that it's more than counting. What you're doing is you're taking out the emotionality between the counts. You stop talking. All you do is you give the numbers. And I got to a point where I would just hold up my fingers so that it was a very quiet response to his behavior. And you're focusing on objectives on how you want them to behave. And so it helps to swiftly halt the what we call stop behaviors, things that you don't want them to do, like badgering or whining or things of that nature. But then you also want to figure out different ways to motivate what you call start behaviors, like like getting dressed in the morning, like preparing your own breakfast, like being responsible for your backpack, getting out the door, things like that. So there's a lot of clarity about how not to confuse a stop behavior with a start behavior. Say like if your child's dawdling to get dressed, you don't want to count them for that. You want to help motivate them to get dressed. And there's lots of ideas there. And and the goal of the whole one, two, three magic thing is 
to figure out how to calm down the chaos so that you have a lot more quality time together so that your household is a lot more quiet, less anxious, you know, because anxiety is, is contagious. And so is calm. Being calm is contagious. Anyway, that book really helped me when he was in kindergarten and in first grade. I fell away from that practice significantly. And I have to confess, he's just been a pill <laughs> lately. He's in third grade. Uh, he's nine. And we're starting all over again. I'm rereading the book. There's a, there's a, a version that's accessible for kids. And we're reading it together. And I have newfound hope. Uh, to kind of gain a little bit more control of the chaos of of the home and to try to help him and to help me, really. So that's just been really helpful, and I have sung its praises elsewhere, and I have some friends who have found it incredibly helpful, and so I just wanted to share that as a resource. But the other thing that I wanted to touch on is that there were two things for me that came out of learning what not to do or who not to be from one of the greatest teachers in my life, which was my mother. There were two things that growing up in my household that I learned from her. One was that she really resented me being around and that she was always right. Those are pretty harsh things to grow up with, but, you know, you learn how to adapt and whatnot. So anyway, now that I'm a parent, I, of course, do not want my child to ever feel those ways. I want him to know that, you know, I, I make mistakes and I certain, and I'm, and I'm capable of recognizing that and, and that that's okay because it gives him permission to make mistakes and that he needs to learn how to take responsibility. So for me, it's, it's just so important that my child can, you know, at the end of every day and and maybe, you know, reflecting on his childhood, he will know, first of all, that he was wanted and loved, even though maybe I really sucked at showing it, but we'll always know that he was wanted. And there are lots of ways that I convey that to him. And a lot of that is verbally, but also, of course, I I try to be very, you know, affectionate with him. And then, and then the other thing is, I, you know, I apologize. And there's a specific way that we work through our apologies. We we apologize for what we did. We say why it was wrong. We talk about how we're going to try to change it for the future, and then we ask for forgiveness. And I do that with him. Uh, from, from myself and then when, when he makes a mistake, you know, we've walked through those apologies together, um, and he's gotten to an age where he, he knows how to do it himself and I leave it up to him to do it himself. If he doesn't, you know, feel the, that, that he was in the wrong, then I have to accept that. Um, and I guess that maybe I'd ask, add one more thing, which is trust. You know, I, I tell him that I trust him. I trust him to do his job at school. I trust him to do his job at home. I I trust him to be responsible for himself. And it's not my job to do everything for him. And my job is to equip him. So those are three things that have really helped me let go 
a lot in my parenting and but also I think maybe just to to be a better parent and and to try to have a calmer household. Anyway, take what you like, leave the rest. Thanks so much for um, this space, Spencer, and all your hard work. I had conversations with Nancy and Michelle, and those conversations were guided by the, the questions that I introduced the show with, which is, what challenges have you found as an adult child in parenting your own children? What program tools have you used and how have they helped And what is your biggest challenge as a parent now? I'm talking with Nancy, who has offered to share some of her experience about parenting. Nancy, could you just introduce yourself briefly? I'm Nancy Kay. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon, and I have been so for over four years. I am my own qualifier. I have my own uh, Al-Anonic reasons for being in this program. Most of all, my addiction or compulsion or obsession about people. You reached out when I was asking for shares about parenting and about how your parenting has changed or you've used the tools of the program. I want to start by asking just sort of about some of the challenges that you have found in parenting. I only have the one son. He's 19 years old. He has special needs, which makes it a little more, quote unquote, special. I'm I'm not only my own qualifier. I have a mother who's an alcoholic, a sister who's an alcoholic, and my ex-husband now is a, a, also an alcoholic. So I, I have very varied in lots of reasons to be in the program. Many people who grew up in an alcoholic home have learned, let's say, learned skills that are not the skills that we want to take with us into the future. That's right. And I imagine that you had some challenges coming out of that as a parent. Yeah, so my 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 mother was a narcissist to begin with growing up, which to me, I equivocate with alcoholism 100%. There's really very little difference to me as far as how it affects me and how they're central. It's, you know, it's a selfish personality disorder versus a selfish disease, but I find no difference in how it affects me. So, and my mother was, became an alcoholic after my brother killed himself in 1990. Mm. And then my my sister, like I said, she she got recovery. She went to treatment two years ago, but she's a dry drunk. She doesn't have recovery now. She's still sober. Anyway, for, for me as a parent, I'm affected by my son and I are parallel right now. I am estranged from my mother for the fourth time, and he is estranged at his own choosing from his father. Um, and we so we are both estranged from our alcoholic parents mm. and living a very similar parallel journey, but I'm handling it much differently than he is. And by that, I mean, he's doing much better than I am. <laughs> he has this grace about him and and uh, way of handling it that I hope to find for myself. It is extremely challenging for me. As a parent, I don't want to be what my mom was. And as a parent of a child whose other parent is MIA because of this disease, I'm having a hard time letting go of that too. Not just what it means to him not to have his father around, but what it means to me not to have his father around for my son, but also not to have a partner and all these complicated things. So a plethora of of, uh, parenting issues. We try to focus on the solution here in the podcast. Yeah. And so I want to ask what program tools you have used um, in being the best parent you can and in, in moving on from the things that 
that you learned from your parent? Yes. My son and I, he will pair it back to me. You know, he went to Al-Anon because I forced him to in the beginning after his dad left. (laughs) But I talk about it openly, my program. And I generally take program calls in front of him on purpose so that he will, through osmosis, get the program and hear what what's happening in my life and understand what's going on for me Mm -hmm. Um, because we have a very open relationship, but, but only sometimes if it's about him specifically or about his dad, will I like go to my car and do it. So program calls, so helpful. Just the slogans. I, I remember standing in my kitchen right after my husband left and I'd be overwhelmed with everything and not know what to do first. And I'd have to keep reminding myself, just do the next right thing and then, and, and keep it simple and first things first and easy does it all these all these slogans just pour out of you right and yeah i would be saying something to him and asking him like three different questions while i was doing the dishes and 10 other things right multitasking he would say to me mom first things first <laughs> keep it simple easy does it you know like such a sage and i i so appreciate that <laughs> yeah wow that's that is great my my kids, unfortunately, have not picked up the program. One kid went for a little while to deal with a drug addict roommate and decided, oh, the thing to do is move out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's true. Yeah, that's one way. <laughs> My other child knows it's there and doesn't want it for whatever reason. I keep hoping. Mm-hmm. I think also, I mean, we are now at least a home in recovery, and, and I'm sure they have picked up some of that, as you say, by osmosis as well. Yeah, it's hard not to. I mean, that's what I what I did initially. I didn't do a lot of step work in the very beginning, but I did all this listening and this soaking up. And whether I knew it or not, I was getting programmed just by going to meetings and just by immersing myself in the program. Did you find yourself as a as a parent repeating behaviors that you had sworn you would never? I mean, I know I have. Uh, yes, that's the first thing I wrote about. Under your first question, uh, second question, what challenges have I found as an adult child in parenting my own children? And mine is rage and impatience, um, which my mother is, and all the alcoholics in my life, I have much more pr- issues with their rageaholism than their alcoholism. I find it upsetting, unnerving, disquieting. I freeze. Like just now, just it, it makes me freeze. It, it's, it's so upsetting to me. Even just thinking about it, huh? Yes. And yet. <laughs> and yet. When I'm overwhelmed and under-programmed <laughs> or underserved by my program and when it's beyond my control, what's the words from the first, the first step? Unmanageable. Thank you. Unmanageable. Unmanageable. When things are unmanageable and I'm unreasonable and impatient and raging like a lunatic because of some trigger that happened because I had or I'm at the last straw and there and I just tip. Um, I'm so ashamed. I'm so saddened and uh, horrified. And uh, I, I thank God for the 10th because I'm only, I've been in the program a long time, but I'm on my second sponsor and my second time through the fourth step. So 
So I've been stuck on four for a long time uh, with two different sponsors. So, so I haven't gotten to 10 except to get to 10 when I need to. Yeah. And my idea of what 10 is, not necessarily what, I don't know, my idea. And it immediately, my son is Ethan. I say, Ethan, I apologize. I want to I apologize for my behavior. I, I was out of control and I didn't mean to do that. And that was wrong. And I apologize. I always felt that step 10 was one that we could start on early. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Prevents piling up more stuff for like amends later, you know? Exactly. Cleans my house so, or keeps it clean of future things so that all I have to do is keep dealing with the past. <laughs> I hope. Have Have you found principles, tools, practices from Al-Anon that have helped with the rage? First of all, like forgiving, using the 10th step, because when I become humble enough to apologize and see my own side of it and stop being so stuck in whatever got me angry to begin with, then I can see past that and see a better place for me to get to instead of keeping keeping myself where I was before recovery, which is, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, uh, black and white thinking. Instead, I approach it gently. A, I approach myself gently. That is different. To let myself off the hook and forgive myself. Yeah. That is profoundly difficult and sounds simple, but it's... Oh, no, it's not simple. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe it's, you know, the, the phrase simple, but not easy. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, forgive yourself. Okay. But... How? (laughs) Exactly. Right. Yeah, boy, that the anger, the rage thing, Alanon really helped me with that. Well, I have this thing in my car because where I get it the most is in the car. I get road rage because it's easy and it's okay to to let it out on strangers because they don't know me. They they're not going to live with me for the rest of the day or anything. So that's where I can misbehave the most. And so I have a three by five card on my dashboard that says rushing with a red circle and a line through it, uh, which is the, the impetus to my, my rage is the constant rushing. And I'm not rushing because I'm late. I'm rushing because I want to be 10 minutes or so early. So it's, it's absolutely Alanani, you know, for me, the, the, my behavior here, but I'm trying to change it. And I say, and then underneath that, I say, enjoy the view. And I have a smiley face mm-hmm. and I have some stickers that say uh, something about kindness that I got from somebody else you know, engage in kindness or something like that. And so all of that tells me, and it doesn't work all the time, but it it tells me, it tries to reinforce in me something that I understand. When I'm angry like that, it's because I'm hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And when I'm hurt, the first thing I do is I want to, I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm angry. And I want to lash out at someone that doesn't know me, especially and feel justified. I want to have some justifiable reason to be judgmental and be angry and, and all these things that take me away from realizing my hurt. So when I feel like that, I say to myself, what am I hurt about? I, tr- I try this. I, I'm not successful all the time, but I, this is what I try to do. When I'm that angry and I'm raging, especially road rage, I try to say, and I go down this hole so easy and so fast, especially lately. I, I have PTSD, so I'm triggered pretty easy. But I, I, I always remember why. What am I hurt about? And how can I how can I change the conversation in my head? 
even just for a minute, just the breathing. Which reminds me of, of the tool that we have of awareness. Mm. It, that was the, the reading in my Sunday night meeting was a reading about awareness, acceptance, action. Mm. That's so true for me, becoming aware of the things I do is the first step to making a change. Yes. And so there's there's a tool that sounds like it's being helpful for you. And also I sort of heard, not in so many words, but the sort of the Al Anon breath. Yes, the pause. Yeah. That's my that's probably my very first favorite tool. Because I have a I have a whole list of one time I, I was asked to speak and I, I just decided I'm gonna my topic was my, these are a few of my favorite things. And it was like five pages of my favorite things about Alan, <laughs> of which the first one was the pause. Yeah. Like just knowing, don't react or act right away because I felt like I had to all the time. I felt like I was pressured. I must, must, must. And no, I mustn't actually. And when I don't and I take the pause, you know, God, that's a beautiful, graceful pause for me. That's a beautiful opportunity for me. How do you use that as a parent? Not enough, I'll tell you that. Boy, because the second he, I think he's done something or or I'm, I'm frustrated, because uh, it's the two of us. We're, we're both on this frustrated level right now about his dad not being here and us being alone doing this, because we've done it for four years, but he's nowhere to be seen. And, and the idea that he can he's probably never coming back in any shape for, or form to our, our family as, as a father figure or as a partner or anything in any way, shape, or form. This is so frustrating and resentful. We're so resentful, both of us, about it. And we're both trying to work on that right now. That's hard. I know. Resentment is is a huge topic Mm. for many of us. Particularly, I think, when we're early in recovery, carrying those resentments is so heavy and so easy. Right. This is sort of... um, you know, I, I've gone through many places of my recovery, ups and downs and whatever, and, and I'm kind of on an up right now in some ways. And yet this particular facet of my relationship, because my ex-husband and I, we've known each other for 34 years. We were friends, coworkers, boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, then parents, then divorced. So all this history, all this time, it's just disintegrated and it's, it's, it's hard for me to let go. I was told, I, I, someone told me, you're the um, patron of lost causes. She's not an Alan friend. She's a family relative, and she knows my history. And it's interesting because it's true. And that's the, you know, the hamster wheel I can't get myself off of sometimes. I want to I wanna fix this situation, and I, I, I can't seem to stop trying. Are there things you do to try to help your son deal with this resentment? Mm. I I take it uh, on me more than he does. He is so much less resentful than I am. It flares sometimes, from time to time. We were both sick recently, and he's got a special needs he was born with. So he was having complications from that, and then I was sick. And then he got lost on the way to the store. And I wasn't sick at home and in the tub. So wet, I had to go find him, and he didn't know where he was. And I didn't know where he, how to find him except to be a mother and find him. <laughs> and I did, but we were, I was so angry and so frustrated that I, that we, you know, we were left holding the bag, the two of us, we were a family of three, 
we are both left holding the bag. We're both these two people trying to, you know, we're like at this point, one fourth of a normal person at this point, like trying to pool our resources to just be like a fourth of a person, you know, to get things done, to get the, everyone fed, my dog, him, me uh, fed and taken care of and my business run and all that and still take care of us being sick. Mm-hmm. And so we both flip flop being resentful and lashing out at him on that regard. And, and when it was my son's turn, he, he took, he like, you know, I'm the parent and he watched me freak out about a similar instance instance and reacted towards his dad. And then he did the same thing. So then we had a long talk about it and it gave a platform for him to talk about his feelings and how much he missed his dad. That's not something he talks about easily or readily. So I, I'm, I see it as a blessing. Yeah, that is something that is so powerful also in, in Al-Anon, that we listen to each other. Right. That didn't happen for me growing up. In an MS Jewish home, we all talked over each other. And that's a beautiful thing in this program, that we listen to each other, deep listening. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest challenge now? Recently, I started dating. It took me a long time. That's four years I've been separated and two years divorced. I only recently in June started dating. And it's not easy. It's very challenging. As a single mother, a single mother of a child with special needs, I'm older, all that. But I didn't realize that both my son and I have this underlying rescue fantasy Hmm. of me finding somebody and it's hard to admit this because intellectually I don't admit this at all to myself, but it's true. It was there recently. He got a very attached unbeknownst to me to this person I was dating that I too was attached to who just up and disappeared on us. It really was really devastating to me to hurt hearing him uh, admit, which is, like I said, he's a boy, mm-hmm. and he, he he modeled after his father, who doesn't talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't talk about his feelings, but he opened up and said, yeah, I thought, and he said it as a joke at first, but he really meant it, that I thought this person was going to be my new daddy. And I, A, I didn't realize that he felt that way, because he doesn't feel that way about any of my dates. And B, I didn't realize that I felt that way, especially that was very shocking to me. I feel that way, that, yeah, I have this rescue fantasy in the back of my mind that I'm going to find somebody really wonderful for him to be a father to him, a father figure, something. Because all the men in our life are either dead, you know, my dad, my uncle, all the the great men in my life are are gone. And so we don't have a man for him to have as a father figure or a male role model at all. So just that realization, that awareness that for both of us, that was a, a shock and a punch to my gut. That's what I'm. That's my challenge right now. Is how do I protect both of us while still trying to date and not have these um, expectations of outcomes? And yeah, that's that's tough. But he opened up. He trusted you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Exactly. And that's that's got to be. I know. I know how I feel when my kids open up to me. You know. <laughs> but especially a boy, right? Like. To me, when he uses the language of my program, our program, because it's not, we have this, we, I have Alan on, I have a big group of Alan on, I have, me, I have two home groups, and I have many, many meetings in San Francisco I can go to. He and I are a meeting unto ourselves, this meeting of two. 
uniquely qualified to help each other because we are both have a both have a, a, an alcoholic parent. Yeah. We both experienced what my husband did in our home. We both experienced recovery in the four years. He has been with me every step of the way. And I love that. And I'm blessed by that. And he's blessed by that. And I believe in his higher power for him. And I, I try to believe in my, my, all the alcoholics higher power that they, they too will be saved and rescued by their higher power instead of me, which is not me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Nancy. Thank you, Spence. I'm talking to Michelle about her experience parenting as an adult child of an alcoholic. Yeah, hi, I'm Michelle. I'm from uh, Northeast Florida. What challenges did you find as an adult child of alcoholics in parenting your own children? What behaviors did you learn that you decided you didn't want to bring in and other things like that? Well, I came into Al-Anon. My, my first child was less than a year old. I had separated from her drug addict father. And I realized pretty quickly that I, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no healthy parental role models. All of my extended family, you know, had been affected by the disease and I had lost both my parents to the disease. So I really felt like, you know, trying to raise this baby, it was like flying without a manual. So what was the first thing I did was, you know, pick up all the manuals. Like (laughs) I went through and read every parenting book. I think that's one of the adult children traits is, you know, over-intellectualizing. And I read all the books. I started swinging the other direction. So I was raised in a home of, you know, severe dominance and criticism, totalitarianism. So I swung to, you know, the opposite end of, of, you know, almost over-nurturing, over-attaching, you know, over-connecting. And I was unable to find the balance in the middle, which is where my Al-Anon program is today. You know, one of the challenges, too, is just growing up in an alcoholic home, I'm continually just racked with self-doubt and bringing that into parenting a small child. You know, I felt like I was doing everything wrong. You know, I had really a lot of harsh judgment for any mistakes I made, a lot of self-condemnation. You know, I expected myself to parent perfectly, you know, lots of pressure, don't screw it up, you know, and it's it's even worse, you know, when you're talking about a baby or a toddler. It feels so important, and it is important, but I definitely didn't have the easy-does-it attitude that I have now after being in program for five years and being a parent for, for six. But I think those were the biggest challenges was just feeling like there was one way I had to crack the code. I read all the books. I needed to figure it out and do it perfectly. And then if I did all of those things, my daughter would not marry an alcoholic like I did, and she could have a happy and perfect life. Those were my goals. <laughs> we're coming into early Al-Anon. Yeah. We had this episode a little while ago about perfectionism. Um, right. Maybe you, maybe oh, you heard yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we like to talk about the solution here. So what tools have you found in, in recovery in Al-Anon that have helped you move past what you learned as a child? Well, the, the great thing is that everything that I didn't get from the parenting books, because you can find a parenting book to support any belief system, I did find through steps, traditions, and concepts, I did find the how-to manual. 
you know, it's broken apart in those three legacies in a couple of different places that I, I've got referenced here. But that's my parenting manual. That and, you know, my conscious contact, step 11 with my higher power, that gives me the solution to be that the parent that I want to be, you know, the parent that I can be proud of. And then I'm far from perfect. But when I make mistakes through step 10, I quickly and directly admit them, you know, and that's one thing I never got from my parents. My parents never apologized to me or if they did, it was, it was sort of a backwards, you know, sort of, it was my fault because I made them do it. Apology. Oh boy. <laughs> so, you know, there's been plenty of times that I've lost my temper or acted inappropriately towards my children in a way that I'm not proud of. And I apologize and I make amends. I say, you know, I really regret the harm that I've done to you. What can I do to make it better? And gosh, bless their sweethearts if they're not just filled with compassion and acceptance. They just immediately just give me a big hug and, you know, it's okay, mommy, you know, and, and then they move on with their day. I'm not carrying those burdens of guilt or that expectation I need to be perfect. And so step 10 is great for that. And the beautiful thing, too, is that by demonstrating humility and honesty, I see that coming up with my oldest, who was the baby when I came in, now she's six, that she can, you know, she can apologize and she can, you know, she says, you know, I'm sorry I hurt you and what can I do to make it better? And doing it without being under duress. I don't have to hold her by the arm and force her to apologize. She sees me doing it. And that's, I mentioned tradition 11, let it begin with me. I am the first one to demonstrate the behavior I want in my children you know, which is treating each other with respect, you know, being honest, being humble, being gracious and grateful. Tradition 11 talks about attraction rather than promotion. I'm not going to sit there and tell my kids do what I say, but not what I do. Yeah. And gosh, so the, the one step I noted, as I mentioned, was step 10. But then when we start looking at the traditions, it's like I, the steps are what kind of keep, keep me clean, you know, yeah. keep my behavior clean. But the traditions are really about relationships and so I pulled out notes from just about every one. If I think of my family, like my Al-Anon group, and yeah. I have the benefit of having, you know, being of service to my group. And so I get to see the traditions and concepts in action, and I can apply that to my family. Tradition one talks about unity, which guards me against dominance, you know, the my way or the highway approach that my parents took or my dad took. It was my primary alcoholic growing up personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity, that it's not about me. It's about the unit. It's about the family. And I don't have to always be right or always get my way just because, you know, mother knows best. Tradition too is, is one of the huge ones that I say lets me off the hook <laughs> because it reminds me that I'm only a trusted servant to my children. I do not govern them. You know, they have a higher power and thank God it's not me as a trustee you know, like a trustee of an estate. I don't own the property that's within that estate. I have responsibilities to maintain it based on the will of the trust owner. So in this scenario, you know, my higher power is, is the ultimate authority, or actually my children's higher power is their ultimate authority. And I am only a trusted servant in that role. So I can always look to my children's primary authority for guidance what do you want me to do here, God? How do you want me to handle this? You know, I have responsibilities to keep them safe and healthy and look out for their overall well-being, but the direction of their life is not my responsibility. And that, like I said, lets me off the hook. It takes the pressure off. 
you know, that I don't have to make their lives perfect, that they have a God and it's not me. So that tradition two is a big, big one for me for parenting. Tradition four talks a lot about autonomy. I grew up in a home where I had no autonomy. I mean, basically, I was enmeshed with my parents and I had to do and say what they wanted me to do in order for them to feel happy and comfortable. So tradition four talks about autonomy, except where, you know, it affects others. And I can, I can allow my children autonomy that I never had in what they dress and what they say and what they do. And as long as it's not hurting them or hurting other people, go ahead, sister, roll with it. And that was a big one because I had a strong-willed toddler. And so she, I either would have had to break her spirit or let her, let her embrace her autonomy. And I, I swear she wore an, a variation of an Elsa dress every day for like a year and a half. <laughs> I mean, just ratty and falling apart. And, I, and her teachers must have thought she didn't own anything else. But, <laughs> but that brings me to tradition 10, which is like, I have no opinion on outside issues. As long as my children are clean and healthy, if she goes to school, which she does uh, often with pink hair and blue eyeshadow and mismatched clothes, you know, whatever, rock it out. Like that's her life. You know, she is autonomous and I don't make opinions about what she, what she wears and how she looks and what decisions she makes. As long as they're not hurting other people, it's not my place. And I really like keeping that in mind. Where are my opinions and can I detach from them? If I feel like I want her to wear a special dress for Easter and brush her hair for once, you know, (laughs) but those are outside issues. And I need to maybe the bigger lesson of allowing her to be autonomous is greater than my ego of having the picture perfect bows and ribbons little girl. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What else did I say? Tradition seven talks about being self-supporting and it means not only am I self-supporting, but I can allow my children the opportunity for them to build self that they can be self self-supporting because that's how they build dignity and respect and responsibility instead of doing things for them, that they can learn to do things for themselves, doing chores, earning money, you know, taking care of their room, being responsible, that that is an important life skill and something that I'm learning now as an adult. I mean, most of these traditions are things that I have, I'm learning about myself as an adult because I didn't have the parenting to help me learn these things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the autonomy and the self-supporting and that's what I'm figuring out in my own life, but I'm grateful that I can offer those things to my children. Yeah. And then I'll just say, I didn't pull out any specific concepts other than to say the concepts in general talk about, you know, shared responsibility kind of in co-parenting. And it reminds me that, you know, I'm not the only parent. I don't have the best ideas. It guards me against dominance. You know, mother knows best. (laughs) Yeah. And also that I can't do it all. You know, concepts talk a lot about, you know, mutual trust and respect, sharing responsibilities, and not only with my children's father, mm-hmm. who's the other trustee of them, but also with God. I can't be solely responsible for raising these children. Much like our levels of Al-Anon work, you know, one person can't do it all. It takes a village. And I like the concepts in general that talk a lot about how I can let go of that and turn the outcome over to God and trust in that and you know without being dominant or domineering wow 
That's great. Pulling out all of yeah. those traditions and, and yeah. And the concepts are still, I think the concepts are not something that a lot of us spend a lot of time thinking about, like in Alana meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's something that you get into more when you get into service, but they do speak so much to how, how I work in family and in my other relationships at work, for example. Mm-hmm. One of my groups has decided, without me prompting them, this is great, <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, has decided to uh, add an occasional meeting on the concepts on the, the fifth Saturday of the month, whenever oh, that happens. Nice. So it'll take a few years to, to get through them. Yeah. It's a, it's a step meeting, and we already have a once-a-month tradition meeting and so now we're adding a once every you know three or four months concept meeting i worked through the concepts with my sponsor you know we did the steps and then the traditions and and then most of the concepts uh in the reaching for personal freedom workbook Mm -hmm. and i and i will say if if, i'm sure you're familiar with it but if the listener isn't i mean the the questions they they take what sounds like a super dry topic Mm -hmm. you know for the concepts about you know, double-headed management and good personal leadership, you know, but they, but the way that they form the questions is they really dig down in a way that I can actually see how this applies to my life and how I used to, before I did, I think it was, I don't know, concept five, maybe I realized that in my family, I was acting, acting towards other. And in my thought process, like I was the family CEO and my husband was like the general manager, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm making the decisions and, you know, and you can make some decisions and yeah, you can pass down the information, you know, but ultimately mother knows best. And that's not shared responsibility, you know, and it's not, it's not my job. And that's, you know, I had to be really humbled to recognize, wow, that's my ego. Yeah. So the concepts are really great for digging into some of those more complex ways that I'm working when I have to work with other people is really what the concepts come together. And I I totally agree that that workbook um, is really good at asking questions and giving examples about how these, as you say, fairly dry sounding, formal sounding traditions and concepts to a large extent, how I can take those and apply them in my life or think about how they relate to my life. And I think, I think that's why the book is, got the word personal in the title. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Think about that. You look at the, um, the tan book, um, paths to recovery, right? Which is the book that, that I have used for, for studying the steps and traditions and a little bit about the concepts, even in some of the tradition chapters, it's very much about the Al-Anon group, the Al-Anon program. Exactly. And exactly. not very much about how do I take this and use it outside of outside of the group. Mm-hmm. Whereas reaching for personal freedom really puts the focus on on me and my life and my relationships. Yes, hundred percent. I would strongly suggest to anybody listening that if you don't get the traditions and the concepts, if you just don't understand what they're about. Go find that book. It's uh, it's a spiral bound workbook. It's got a tree on the cover. It's sort of greenish in overall tone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's like fifteen, eighteen dollars, something like that. Yeah, uh, really good investment in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And it is a workbook. It actually has spaces to write in if you're if you're into that. Yep. 
I had a couple other notes just about kind of we outline the traditions and then just sort of my general, like, what do I, how do other tools that I use of the program, you know, for parenting, gosh, I mean, it's, it's 11th step all the way, especially since I recognize that I don't own my children. God owns them. You know, it's like, I'm the general manager and he's the CEO, you know, I need to go to him. What do you want me to do here? How do you want me to handle this? And so 11th stepping for knowledge of God's will. And then, you know, raising out with my sponsor who, you know, is someone that I trust and who has a, a relationship with her children that I would hope to have with mine. You know, she has what I want. So um, those are two of the big ones. Easy does it. I mean, that's like I said, I definitely didn't have that when I came in. How important is it? You know, I spent a lot of time trying to wrestle they still do sometimes wrestle my children, you know, into clothes or, or outfits or situations that they don't want to be in. Um, you know, and how important is it? Like, are they going to, you know, they don't need to always look the way I want them to look or act the way I want them to act. You know, what's more important, the bigger picture is, you know, their right to expression, their right to autonomy and my ability to detach, you know, that's a, a big one too. Detaching with love, you know, when my, three-year-old is it was yelling at me the other day about I'm the meanest mommy and I'm never gonna he's never gonna tell me that I'm a nice mommy and I'm gonna be a mean mommy forever I'm like okay dude no problem we're still going to bed you know (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm not I remember my sponsor telling me one of my oldest was too you know it's like you don't argue with you know, alcoholics, toddlers, and terrorists. Like, you know, I just don't, I just, it's like, <laughs> I love it. it's great. You know, I don't, I don't negotiate with them. You know, I just, I'm like, okay, I understand. Those are your feelings. They don't impact me. I'm not negotiating. I'm not taking it personally, totally detached because I know, you know, he's going to come around and like they always do. And, and it'll be fine because I'm secure in myself as a mother that, you know, when my children express negative emotions towards me, it just, it just bounces off. And I can see that they're just, and that's something I didn't have growing up. I didn't have the space to express negative emotions, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was basically neutral was the only safe emotion. Um, I definitely could not express negative emotion towards my parents. You know, that was a hundred percent not allowed, but now, you know, I write, it's like everybody has their feelings and I can allow my children to have negative feelings and I can detach from them and, you know, my daughter was in tears in the store today because I wouldn't buy her a $60 toy when she had a $5 limit. I mean, she's, you know, negotiating her way. And I mean, just, just big tears. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, honey. I understand you're upset, but, you know, this is the boundary and, and we're going to leave. You know, I don't have to get pulled into the, the, the tug of war with my children's emotions that I can let them express them without having to change them. And that's you know, that's detachment. That's what we learn in Al-Anon, right? And a big one, I was looking for the, the reading, you know, but I couldn't find it. But it's somewhere in one of our books. It says, I will neither take credit for someone else's success nor blame for their failure. And I, and I use that a lot where, you know, if I'm getting, you know, someone is offering praise about my children, you know, I don't take credit for that, you know? Like if my daughter's successful at school, I mean, that's her success. It's not my success. If my daughter is expressive and artistic, that's hers. That's not mine. You know, I grew up with my parents living very vicariously through me, that I had to be successful in a certain way so that they could feel successful. 
Mm-hmm. But now I, I stay detached from my daughter's successes or, or their failures, you know, that those are, those are theirs and theirs alone. And it doesn't reflect me. That's something that I think I can carry through for, you know, into the t- teenage years. We're still in the preschool, so I've got time. I was at a Eleanor talk yesterday. Phil was talking about gratitude because hey, it's, you know, almost Thanksgiving here in the U.S. He expressed gratitude that he had not intervened in his son's plans for his education as he went off to college. Because two years later, he sees that his son is having great success in ways that he had never have imagined. Yeah. You know, he didn't try to force his son into his image of what he thought he should be. And and what he ended up with is so much better than the the vision that the father had. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that just ties in so well with what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such a contrast to my experience because I I often say like my parents had planned out you know my life in advance you know where where I was going to go to school and what I was going to major in and I really had no option you know except to follow along and then they could reap the benefits and rewards of their stellar parenting and much to the success of me having no identity or autonomy you know but it wasn't about me but yeah but now I can I can, yeah. I, Al-Anon gives me permission to just live my own life. I'm not, I don't own my children. I'm not responsible for their lives. I'm, as a trustee, I'm responsible for certain things, you know, their mm-hmm. health, their, you know, their well-being, you know, I keep roof, roof over their head. I keep their teeth brushed. And, but ultimately, you know, their, the outcome of their lives is in God's hands. And that, that's good because God, like you said, God can do such a much better job than I could. That's for sure. His ideas are so much better than mine. So what do you, maybe you've already said this, but where do you find your current challenge? Yeah, this is interesting. And it's more of just a challenge and kind of for future Michelle. When I came into program, and even now I hear it often, people will say, you know, you're so lucky you got into program and your children are young, you know, with the implication being that, I can somehow prevent them from following, you know, and that's I, when I came in the program, I, I will honestly say I came in for my infant daughter. I came in because I did not know how to be a mother and I had no better ideas. You know, I came in for her to give her a better way and a better life. And so the challenge for me is to always remember that like this disease is so much bigger than my program. You know, I can work a rigorous program for the next 20 years and still end up with children who are struggling with addiction. That's what I have to remember that I don't have the power to, you know, quote, break the cycle because this, this disease is, um, you know, cunning, baffling and powerful. And that's the, the baffling part is because there's a part of me that wants to believe, well, if I keep coming back and I work my program every day for the next rest of my life, you know, my children's lives will be free from pain and suffering. And that's mm. again, that's not how this works. This is a program for me. And all that it guarantees me is that if the day comes that my children are suffering with, you know, addictions of their own, and they come by it honestly from all sides of the family, that I'll have a program to fall back on. That's, that's the only promise and the only guarantee I get. But I always have to remind myself before I get too self-congratulatory, patting myself on the back for the stellar parenting that I'm doing, that I don't, 
believe that I can control this disease. Mm-hmm. I'll never, I'll always be powerless over this disease. And I parent them this way, not to try to get a certain outcome for them, but so I can be a parent that I feel good about. And I have to remember that that's what my focus is. My focus isn't about controlling their future. It's about being a parent that I can respect. That's so wonderful and so hard <laughs> All right. to, 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 to truly be letting go of the outcome like that. Mm-hmm. So hard. Yeah. But I know that, you know, if something does happen with them down the road, um, I'll have that many more years of Al-Anon to support me. So mm-hmm. I, I can feel confident that I'll have the tools then that I need. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. The first musical selection that I chose for this topic is called Parents Just Don't Understand by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. This song speaks to the inevitable disagreements and misunderstandings that occur between parents and child, no matter how good of a parent we are. A little bit of lyrics here. You know parents are the same no matter time or place. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes. So to you, all the kids across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Some humor in that song, too. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. I'm thinking back over the last week or so, um, and actually Saturday was <laughs> Saturday was a big recovery day for me. I started out with getting up, uh, ready to go to my Saturday morning meeting, walking out and discovering that I had a flat tire. I mean, really, really flat, like down on the ground flat. So I was not making it to my meeting. So what's the, the program? principle here acceptance yes acceptance that the tire is flat that the the car is not going to the meeting i'm not going to the meeting i'm waiting for aaa to come and then i'm going to go buy a new tire and that is what happened that afternoon our local Illinois district sponsored what they call gratitude day this is a i think about two hour program that involves a couple of speakers well this year it was a couple of speakers uh some activities around gratitude and food, some yummy, yummy food. We started by blowing up balloons and writing on those balloons things we were grateful for, and then sort of tossing them around the room, picking them up, seeing what other people had written. And then somebody said, hey, let's do a, let's do a photo. And so everybody took a balloon with a gratitude written on it and held it in front of their face so we could have a group photo without our faces showing, uh, expressing our group gratitude. And it was it was really fun. I think the photo is going to be put up on our district, Al-Anon website, and, I don't know, submitted to the forum or something, maybe. We'll see. If it gets somewhere externally visible, I will mention it and put a link in the notes on, on the uh, Recovery Show website, which is therecovery.show, and the notes for this episode at therecovery.show slash 225. One of the speakers spoke about gratitude lists as a tool that when he came into Al-Anon, his attitude was extremely negative. Um, everything was, was bad, horrible in his life, and he didn't see how he could find anything to be grateful for. 
but he heard in meetings about the power of the gratitude list, and so he started practicing doing it. Maybe the first time he did his list, he was able to write down maybe one thing. He has a practice every day at lunch. I'm just writing down everything that he can think of that he's grateful for. Little things, big things, a lot of little things in no particular order. And as he said, just because it was on the list yesterday doesn't mean it can't be on the list today. His list included obvious things like Al-Anon and not so obvious things. It was one that he expressed as, I'm really glad I didn't marry any of the girlfriends I had in high school. I'm grateful that I had those relationships, but I'm also grateful that those relationships were not permanent. And just all all sorts of things. Anyway, it was a great talk. Diana sent in a share about expectations. Hi, Diana here. Talking about going from negative to positive. Working on your thoughts. Working on the vibe that you bring and attract to the world around you being the energy that you want to attract. I've spoken about the grief and working through filled expectations, difficult conclusions, painful endings, and I'm learning to change my approach about expectations because there's this thing out there in the religious community particularly that even just a little bit that perfectionism is real that it exists. And the truth is the world isn't perfect and nature isn't perfect and people and all of creation, really, there's flaws. There's flaws built in everywhere. And things happen in our lives out of pain that beauty can come through those painful things. So it's almost like there's a point to it that it's bigger than us. Maybe we don't understand in the moment, but everything that we have been through is for a reason and a purpose. And and I think about the miracle of going through what I went through and how I'm the miracle and now my daughter is the miracle and will never experience that pain. But I was born out of it. I was literally raised up and bloomed and blossomed in a difficult environment. And it's maybe not ideal, but it it happens, you know the flower growing in the desert experience. So when you learn to change your expectation and your perspective from that of expecting perfection and an ideal and maybe a conclusion or an illusion of grandeur and the white picket fence and the mom that makes cookies and the dad that reads the newspaper and and maybe the dad was really a drug addict Mom had, you know, mental illness and learning to say life is okay on life's terms and it's okay that exactly the way it is. And I can create my world and existence based on my choices and decisions. However, I have to accept life on life's terms. I can't make a situation be different. I can't go back and make this be different. It is. And that's acceptance and that's learning to appreciate the rain, learning to appreciate the storm, learning to love it all and embrace it all, which involves a deep surrender. This is the world. And I'm a part of the world. But I, in my protest and in 
my demands of heaven, I can't force a desert to not be a desert. It was meant to be that way for a reason, and I just have to appreciate it for what it is. And that goes with people. But we need to understand and appreciate exactly, you know, for what they are and stop with the expectations. It's not fair to us and it's not fair to them and it's not healthy. And it's funny when you start to accept and you come out of this expectation thing, oh my gosh, just something lifts a heaviness and a sadness because you you learn to kind of be okay with the rain. You know, I, I use that example because I had somebody close to me who was very, very, very perfectionistic and controlling. And she had this big wedding and, and it paid for, you know, all the catering and the food. And it was an outdoor wedding. And of course it rained, right? And I mean, poured rained. And they were putting up the tent and she was in her wedding dress, just sobbing, you know, miserable. And I thought, man, this is a beautiful wedding. Like, I think rain on a wedding day is good luck, you know? So it is all about the perspective that we choose to have and that can make the difference of being positive or negative. And I'm trying, I'm trying to see it all as a gift. I want to be in that place permanently and I fight for it that I'm not a victim and this, you know, wasn't life happening to me. I'm happening to life, but the force and the power that I bring is... I'm going to appreciate all of it as much as I can and have gratitude for, for all the experience. So thanks for letting me share. Our upcoming topic is gratitude in conjunction with the United States holiday of Thanksgiving. And there is still time to share your gratitude. You can call right now, 734-707-8795 to express the things that you're grateful for. Maybe one thing, you're grateful for, maybe a list of things you're grateful for, or you can send email to feedback at the recovery.show with your gratitude. All of the ways in which you can contact us can be found at the recovery.show slash contact. So that may be the only thing you need to remember the recovery.show slash contact. We would love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, your questions about today's topic of parenting as an adult child, or our gratitude upcoming topic. And also have upcoming episodes on just parenting in general, parenting in recovery, parenting with the help of the Al-Anon program, and parents being a parent of a child who is an alcoholic or addict. Those are two separate topics. If you'd like to share on either of those, again, contact methods at the recovery.show slash contact. Thank you in advance. We'll take a short break before looking at our email and voicemail this week. Our second musical selection, which is available on the website at therecovery.show slash 225, is Daughters by John Mayer. The song talks about the importance of good parenting in a daughter's life. I think we can safely substitute child's life. He says, if a parent fails to treat his daughter well, it will affect her adult relationships. And he's also said that it's about how someone's past affects who they become. And ain't that true? But what we know is that we can use our program of recovery to change who we are, that it is not inevitable. A few lyrics. Fathers, be good to your daughters. Daughters will love like you do. Girls become lovers who turn into mothers, so mothers, be good to your daughters, too. 
Christina left us a voicemail with a topic suggestion. Hi, Spencer. My name is Gina. I've been listening to your podcast for about two years. Um, it's been a really great resource for me, even though I haven't had active alcoholism in my life. It's helped me deal with my own Al-Anon-ism. One thing I've appreciated hearing in some of the open talks, and I haven't seen an episode done on this yet, is uh, codependency or being an Al-Anon and uh, financial, fear of financial insecurity, um, fear of financial instability. It's something that I... I have def- I definitely experienced, and I think it's been magnifying some of my Al-Anon traits recently. And so, if it's, it doesn't qualify as an outside issue, but if I would be interested in hearing um, an episode on codependency and managing and, and money and fear of financial instability and fear of financial insecurity, uh, I know there's a lot of doing the best you can and also <laughs> surrendering to your higher power. And that can be really scary when it's things like trying to find a place to live and am I going to be able to pay my bills. I'd also be interested in hearing if any of the other, um, if anyone else has anything to add on that, how they've implemented programs, tools to uh, manage any of that. Um, thank you. And thank you so much for your podcast. I agree, Gina. That is that is a great topic, and I don't think we've. Ta- I mean, I've talked about my fear of financial insecurity. I know a few times in in these episodes, but we haven't actually done a whole episode on it. And that that is a good one because it's something that I think a lot of us, I certainly faced. Sue asked, "Do you have a greyhound?" And I assume that was in response to the photo that I posted on the show notes for the last episode at therecovery.show/two-two-four. And the answer is yes. Uh, We've had him, Jake, for about 10 years. We adopted him as a rescue when he was two and a half, and he's been a loving member of our family ever since. Hopefully for a while more, he is getting older. Debbie emailed, I love your podcast. I can't say enough good things. The counselor who led the family group I was attending weekly was pulled in to work with the second group of those recovering at the center. So she was no longer available for the family group, and they stopped having it. That family group, based on Al-Anon principles, changed my life for the better. I haven't been brave enough to go to Al-Anon meetings yet, but I will at some point. I think you mentioned an upcoming parenting episode. I'm looking forward to that one, both from the perspective of co-parenting with an active alcoholic, as well as when your beloved children dabble in addictive substances. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I found your podcast by searching in iTunes and feel very fortunate to have stumbled upon it. Best, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie, for the good words. I can't repeat often enough that I really encourage you to find a meeting and go to it. Um, You will find people there who will love you, whose experience will inform you. Also, yes, this is one of the upcoming parenting episodes. And, and now I remember it's actually maybe three more topics about parenting because parenting as the sober adult in a household with addiction um, where the other parent is alcoholic or addict and active in that is also a parenting topic that I'm sure we can get plenty of experience, strength, and hope shared on that topic. So thanks. Thanks for that reminder. Nancy asks, I searched for topics on making amends and did not find one. 
especially am interested in how to make amends with humility without feeling humiliated. Thank you for a wonderful program. I, I dug back into the archives and we did an episode on step nine, which is episode 40. It's at therecovery.show slash 40. There are a couple of open talks that include a discussion of step nine and making amends. Mary Pearl on steps six through nine is episode 209 at therecovery.show slash 209. And a talk titled Stepping Stones to Serenity, part two, is episode 159 at therecovery.show slash 159. Both of those talk about making amends. I think Mary Pearl does it with a lot of humor. And I think the Stepping Stones to Serenity is Ellen C., which is also, she's a wonderful speaker. I highly suggest both of those. Kylie wrote in, Hi, Spencer. I just listened to the Willingness Podcast number 216. There's so much strength and hope in this edition, and I'm sure I'll be listening to it more than once. I want to thank you, Spencer and Eric, for your time and effort for such a great resource. I live a long way from any meeting and find that this show is my go-to for a meeting. I also want to add that I am an adult child of an alcoholic who is still parenting my 32-year-old addicted son who has set up a dwelling on my property. I am living with daily resentment from him. The story about recovery being as small as a grain of sand one day at a time is certainly what's happening for me. Six months ago, I was an uptight, anxious, raging woman who has now learned to detach from my son's need to blame me, the only actual person that has shown him any love and support. Being an adult child of a violent alcoholic man who has produced misogynistic sons that I had to battle with while growing up has given me a very closed heart, and I find that being vulnerable to any form of emotional relationship with a man impossible. So hearing your two male voices with such wisdom and insight and knowledge is really healing to my heart. Thank you once again, Kylie from Australia. And thank you, Kylie. I am, I'm, I'm grateful that we can be a resource for you. I guess I would wish that, that you could find a meeting, but it sounds like that's very difficult. So I'm glad we can be there. Carrie asked, can you tell me the name of a podcast that you've mentioned several times in your podcasts about AA recovery? I, I can't remember. The podcast is called Recovered, and it's at recoveredcast.com. It's recoveredcast, all one word, dot com. Mike wrote in to answer a question that was asked last week. Hi, Spencer. In episode 224, you read an email from Michelle who was asking about an email that you'd read in the spring from someone with a lost love. I think that email was from me. I emailed you on March 15th when my heart was in a million pieces. You read my email in episode 195 at about the 58-minute mark. The story is long, so I'm not sure if you want an update or if Michelle was hoping to hear one. I am doing better thanks to 220-plus Al-Anon and ACOA meetings since January, but I have a long way to go. Thanks again for the podcast. Your soothing voice helps me to relax and get back to sleep when my brain wants to focus on the negative things. I think that I'm addicted to the chemicals released by negative emotions, as I find that I crave them, and when my receptors get a little taste of the negative, I want to latch onto it and magnify it. Listening to your podcast helps me get out of that mode, Mike. And thanks, Mike, for for uh, for writing in. I'm glad that you are doing better. 220 Al-Anon and ACOA meetings since January. That works out to, I think, almost a meeting every day. That's... Uh, that's a lot of recovery. I'm, I'm glad that it helped. 
soothing voice helps me to relax and go back to sleep. I hope it doesn't put you to sleep, but thanks for that. I recently received a voicemail from a listener who had asked someone to be a sponsor. The response was a long, long explanation of why they were unable to do so. And I just, I mean, I've said no, but it's just, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Don't do that, okay? If you need to say no, say no, and and leave it at that. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web ending your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Mary, Michelle, Debbie, Penelope, Sharon, Franklin, Annie, and Michael did. And thank you again for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page to see it. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to therecovery.show or listening. We are here for you. The last song I picked is an oldie, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Teach Your Children. It's a song about passing on what you have. Some lyrics. You who are on the road must have a code that you can live by. And so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. And feed them on your dreams. The one they pick, the one you'll know by. Don't you ever ask them why. If they told you, you will cry. So just look at them and sigh and know they love you. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.